You may open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. In preparation for this morning, you have read 1 John 3 and 4. You saw in 1 John 3 and 4 a heavy emphasis on the love of the brethren. It is the mark of our eternal life that we know God, that God dwells in us and we in Him. And we want to consider that theme this morning. My message this morning will be most simple and easy to hear, but it will not be so easy to practice. And yet, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What I'm going to preach to you, you've heard before, it's going to be a little different. But what I'm going to preach to you is easy to hear, but harder to do, because by nature, we are hateful people. That's what Titus 3.3 3 tells us. But let me read a couple verses to you from Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 37. Jesus, our Lord, has been asked, what is the great commandment in the law? And so out of the many chapters in the Old Testament, Jesus pulls this. Out of the many words of the Old Testament, here is what Jesus sets forth as his religion. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Thus saith the Lord. The entire Old Testament is contained in the words, the law and the prophets. The whole Old Testament hangs on the love of God and the love of neighbor. You already love yourself. He asks you in that second commandment, by His mighty power, which is the only way you'll be able to do it, to love others as much as and as how as you love yourself. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. This is the number one theme from Matthew to Revelation of the New Testament. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. And we do emphasize faith. And we are thankful for hope. But the greatest of these is charity. If you want to truly be a Christian and follow Jesus Christ, you will listen today. Because this is his great message to his disciples. And that is to love one another. I warned you last Lord's Day from Galatians 6.5 that every man shall bear his own burden. And this morning in just a few minutes, by God's grace, I will warn you again, every man shall bear his own burden as to whether you love one another or you don't. If you do not love one another, then you are just like Cain, and I can tell you where Cain is at this hour. If you love one another, you can assure your hearts and you can assure us by, about your hearts that your name is written in heaven. Because love is the greatest grace and the greatest measure and the greatest blessing and the greatest proof of a child of God. But we saw in Galatians chapter 6 that if we bear one another's burdens in verse 2, we fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. We saw in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 Let us look for opportunities then to do good 
to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So wrapped up in our 10 verses from last Lord's Day morning, Galatians 6, 1 through 10, we saw there the importance of brotherly love and brotherly service. To say that you love the brethren is absolutely worthless. Nowhere does it say in the Bible, say that you love the brethren. It is visible activity. Because all men shall know that ye are my disciples by the love ye have one to another. And how will they know that but by witnessing it? And 1 John 3 says, don't love in word, but in deed and in truth. So it is not enough to tell yourself or even to tell us or to tell the Lord that you love the brethren. Let's see if we can do it toward one another. The high command of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we love the brethren as he has loved us, as he is love. Let me tell you a story. This is unusual for me, and you know it, but accept it. My brother Paul, in Acts chapter 17, quoted a Greek pagan poet for a limited purpose. And I'm proving nothing by what I'm telling you, but I'm going to give you a little message that you're going to be able to remember for this sermon. And if you can remember it, then I'll be blessed, the Lord will be blessed, and your lives will be blessed, and you know what it is. In 1961, a black football star out of Omaha, Nebraska, went to the University of Kansas. He was great. He was very shy. He is pretty well known by those of my generation. In his sophomore year, he was in his track coach's office, and he saw on his desk a little plaque sitting there, and it had three words on that plaque. And being a very shy young man, his name was Gail Sayers. He didn't ask his coach for two whole years what in the world those words on that plaque meant. And then he asked one day, And the coach told him, this is how I try to live my life, and this is how you ought to live your life. He set many records in rushing the football. He was a runner at the University of Kansas, and he went to the Chicago Bears and became one of the greatest running backs in the history of the NFL, though with a very short career. But when he had the ball, it was like magic on the field, Gale Sayers. Some of you may have seen the the, the good movie, called Brian's Song, about his fellow running back, Brian Piccolo, who got cancer and died. Gail Sayers is the black man in that movie. Gail Sayers appreciated those words that were on that little plaque that was on the desk of his track coach at the University of Kansas. So before his career got started, he had a gold medallion made for himself with those three words on it, with three words, And he wore it under his clothes at all times, and he wore it under his football uniform. And he's tried to live by that. And today he's a successful businessman, almost 60 years of age. But he still tries to live by those words. It's those words that I want you to remember as the mental tickler for what I'm going to preach to you this morning. And I'm not going to preach long. The three words on that plaque and the three words on the medallion that hangs around his neck and by which he tries to live and by which everyone that's going to follow Christ had better live are these. I am third. 
I am third. Couldn't be said any sweeter or shorter than those words. I am third. He would define it the way that we define it, but that doesn't matter. He defines it. God is first. Others are second. I am third. We are going to define it. God is first. Others are second. We are third. Jesus taught. God is first. Others are second. We are third. May God bless us. Will you stay with me for a few minutes? We are third. Let's learn that. And let's go out of here this morning to live it. Let's get in our cars and drive to Hillsville, Virginia and be third. As one brother is going to do. God is first. Others are second. And we are third. I was blessed as a child by two blessings. I'll give the first little one first. The, the, the first is smaller than the second. The first is that my wife and I attended a little club that our church had, and I'm not saying that we should have a club. Don't, don't draw conclusions that I'm not making. It had a little club called a joy club where children would get together to read the Bible, to memorize verses, and to hear Bible stories. And both of us were in that little club. We didn't know each other then. Well, yeah, we knew each other, but you know what I mean. We didn't know each other very well. She was three years younger than I was, so she was just a little snot. She was my sister's friend. That made her the last part of the little. I hope you can all understand that. Amen. But we both were in that little club. And its name was Joy Club. Because the word joy can be explained this way. J is for Jesus, O is for others, and Y is for you. And I can tell you this this morning, on the authority of this word and on experience, if you don't learn how to put God first, others second, and yourself last, you'll never have joy. The fullness of joy is loving God with all of your heart, strength, and mind, as we just read here, and learning to love others as or more important than yourself and God will give you joy in that. Right. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to, gi- to give <clears throat> than to receive, because that's where the joy is in giving. That was a blessing in my life. The other blessing is the two parents that I've had who taught this to me by their lives every year that I lived with them. God first, others second, ourselves last. All those of you who know my parents know that that is true. I am a very blessed man. But I I say that to honor them, to thank God, and to to give each of you another reason why this sermon's important. What are we going to leave our children? They're leaving something in this world that is very precious. And that was a holy example of God first, others second, themselves last. They taught me I am third without knowing the words. They taught it with the word joy, and they taught me that. True joy, Jonathan, Johnny, or whatever they called me. She won't like that one. That's why I said it. True joy is Jesus, others, and you. Let's see the word of God teach that to us, and let us hear our Savior call us to be like him, loving God first, others second, and ourselves last. Let's be third, and let's be excited about it to be third. The first commandment we read right here on which hang all the law and the prophets, 
is the love of God first. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 10. You already know this, but let's just remind ourselves. Do you know why we look in the Bible and remind ourselves? Because the world doesn't help you remember this once you step out of here. Your flesh doesn't remember it once we step out of here. This is why repetition. But I want you to know, I hope that the words I've already read from Scripture are incredibly weighty to you. The whole Bible hangs on these two things. Love of God and love of others. Wow! What weight! What importance! You should be sitting there with great anticipation to hear the few words that I have to say to you this morning to empower you by His Word and His Holy Spirit, which only He can give, I cannot give Him, to go out of this place being third. But let's get the first one down. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Well, this is something we want answered. What does God require of us? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. What does God require of us but to fear Him, to walk in His ways, to love Him, and to serve Him with everything we have? God is first. God is truly first. This is what He requires of us. Are you willing to give Him this? Do you give Him this? To fear Him, to walk in His ways, to love Him, and to serve Him with everything you have. God is first. What did Solomon say when he got to the end of his social experiment? Let us hear the conclusion to the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. First, foremost, and above all else is we serve God and we love him with all that we have in our beings. We give our lives to him. We're willing to lose our lives for his sake. If he asks us to do something that would involve some self-denial on our part, no problem, because to deny self for him is nothing. This is the word of the Lord, and this is how we love Him. With all of our soul, mind, heart, and strength, your affections, your thoughts, your actions, your words, all of it is His. If He asks us to give them to Him in a certain way, we give it that way. We love Him more than anything else. Our time with Him is more precious than time anywhere else. Reading His word is more important than reading anything else. Singing about Him is more important than singing some foolish love song of our generation. Everything is wrapped up in God. He is the joy of our salvation. He is our life. He is our portion. He is our rock on which we trust. He is our friend. He is our brother. He is our joy. Where I started. Look in your Bibles at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, God first. This little message is entitled, I am third. Because God is first. And we want to look at Colossians chapter 3. God is first in the life of a child of God. That great adopting father who's the creator of the heavens and the earth the invisible, immortal, independent I am that I am is our blessed Father. He is first. 
He is first because He's our Creator, and He is first because He's our Savior. He is first because He's our Father. He is first. Colossians chapter 3. Look what it says in the third verse about your life. For ye are dead. Now did you all know that? You're nodding, but you're still dead. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. That's where your true life is. Hid with Christ in God. That is the safest place a soul can ever be. You can live this life, and you can pass through the curtain of death into the next life, safe and secure, because your life is hid with Christ in God. We are dead to this world. We are dead to self. We are dead to sin. We are alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He is our life. He is our reason for living. He fills our life. He chooses our activities. Our life is His. We have given it to Him. We have crucified ourselves. Because a text says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now how can you be crucified and alive? Because we crucify ourselves to the world, but we're alive to God through Christ Jesus. You're dead. So He is our life. He is first. Because we are not alive in comparison to Him. Look at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. This is describing our life of putting God first. If we are truly risen by regeneration into a new life, then let us live like it, so that we're seeking those things which are above. If we have been resurrected from a life of hopeless pleasure in sin to a life of joyful pleasure in righteousness, let's live like it. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Our love should be directed to heaven, not to earth. For you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, He is our life, your life is wrapped up in Him. For Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Mortify therefore your members. The different parts of your life that are by nature need to be put to death in order for you to live for Christ. Because God is first. I am third Because God is first. God is first because we are dead to ourselves. We are dead to this world. There shouldn't be anything in this world, business, popularity, money, home, family, anything, getting between us and God because God is first. This message is simple. You don't need to remember all the details. Right now we're on details. What you need to remember is, I am third. How you need to get up tomorrow morning, if the Lord tarries, is I am third. Lord God, you are first. Today is a day that I'm going to live for you. And those ought to be your first waking words as you hit the floor. And then throughout the day, Lord, because I love you, help me remember someone that I can serve today and do something for them. God first, others second, yourself last. That's what you need to remember. I'm just going to establish it with the Word of God and trust that He, by His Spirit, will put it in your hearts. 
But if you leave with a conviction and a repentance for past life, living with a purpose to live this way, we will have accomplished our purpose for this morning. I am third. But I want you to see how the Bible says it so plainly. You know, it gets to this fifth verse. And from the fifth verse down through about the eleventh verse, it tells us to put to death other parts of our lives so that all that is left is things that please God and would serve others. The greatest example of putting God first is not Gail Sayers. I don't know anything about him, and I don't want to know anything more about him. Sorry. See, I don't go very far with my stories. What I want to tell you about is the Lord Jesus Christ. He put God first. When I find him in Luke chapter 4, after 40 days of great hunger and being tempted by the devil himself, he always took every situation of temptation back to It is written, Thus saith the Lord, My God told me to do it this way. I am not going to listen to you. He put God first. I don't care what temptation you face today or tomorrow. It's not going to be as great as he faced. (laughs) I read of my Lord Jesus Christ being shown all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That's more than you getting a raise. A little bit more. All the kingdoms of the world, all this glory I will give you. Jesus of Nazareth, if you'll worship me, because it's put into my hands to give to whomsoever I will. And the Lord Jesus Christ answered that, my God, my Father would not want me to do that. Get away from me. God first. He's our great example. I find him at the other end of his public ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knew consciously what was facing him. He knew that he had a horrible death coming, the desertion of all of his friends, and that God himself was going to forsake him. Facing that horrible event of the cross of Calvary, which bought our redemption, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. My will is not to pray for my enemies. My will is to strap on a sword and chop their heads off. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the great example. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. You know why he didn't sin? Because he was faithful and loyal to God first. You know, the Apostle Paul was a pretty good example too, wasn't he? I count all things but loss for the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. What do you think? Do you think he lived, I am third? Think about the life of Paul. Was God first in Paul's life? Were others second? Was he last? What did he do for himself in his life that you know about? What was his best vacation? What was his worst vacation? That was in jail. Paul. How about David? Did David have God first? When David sat down in his beautiful palace and his enemies had all been defeated and he sat there, stretched out, put his feet up on the ottoman, stretched himself. Nathan, come here. It is not right that I should sit here free from my enemies in such a beautiful house and God is still being worshipped in a tent. 
I'm going to build him a house. And the Lord God comes down and says, it never crossed my mind that somebody should build me a house. Where did you get such an idea? I've taught you this before, 2 Samuel 7. Nobody like David in the whole Bible. Nobody. God compared everyone in the Old Testament to David. His son is called the son of David. David sinned, and David sinned grievously, horribly, heinously, and very wickedly. But I want to tell you, that was not his overall character. And I'm thankful for the example of David in the Bible. I love David in the Bible. Because David loved the Lord his God. And when he was comfortable, he didn't want to be comfortable long without making God comfortable. Because he loved the Lord his God first in his life. God is first. Others are second, brethren. Jesus said the second commandment is like the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Our world is so corrupt that they take that verse and they teach that the first thing that you need to do to become a successful Christian is to learn to love yourself. That is the religion that is going down in the majority of pulpits, books, seminars, and radio broadcasts of effeminate heretics like James Dobson. The cure for our children is to support, build up, and increase and improve their self-esteem. And you cannot learn to love others until you learn to love yourself. That is 100% in error. That is 180 degrees wrong from what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you already love yourself with an infinite love. And to truly love your neighbor, you've got to get them up to your level. Because if you ever treated your neighbor like you treated yourself, you would treat them perfectly. Because you are always on the defensive for yourself. You are always taking care of yourself. You are always pampering yourself. You are always thinking about yourself. And if you were ever to do that to someone else, what love would result? What great love would result? The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that it is a sign of the perilous times. And the first characteristic is men shall be lovers of their own selves. Do you understand why I preach so often and mention that those perilous times? The first mark is the mark of our generation. It's taught as a religious dogma. It's taught as a psychological fact that the only way to be happy is to learn to love yourself. The Bible teaches that joy is the result of loving God and others and getting rid of self. You are dead. Now, isn't that good? for self-esteem, yes. to go around telling you, you are dead. Right. Amen. I am nothing. Are those good words? Amen. Right. I am nothing. The world says that's horrible, and we're going to twist, pervert, and distort all of our children's little minds and hearts and souls. Well, from their perspective, I want to twist your little hearts and minds and souls and distort them to be the way God wants them to be, Amen. which is, I am nothing which is, I am third, out of a comparison with God and others. What a horrible travesty. Look at 1 John chapter 3, please. 1 John chapter 3. I am third. WWJD. What does that mean? I'll give you something. I am third. That says a lot, doesn't it? It makes you think about one and two. And it puts you where you belong, all in the simplest, the fewest English letters that you could put together. I am third. That's why I liked it. I know that you're going to leave with something, and your children are going to remember something, and you're going to have something to remind them of whenever you see the siblings fighting. 
you are all running a seminary for the glory of God in your homes. And when your children are fighting, you can leave in this world the knowledge of God by ending that fighting. There should be, there should be no joking, jesting, cutting, ripping, teasing, mocking in our homes. There should be brotherly love established as soon as these little children are old enough to comprehend pain. That that is not tolerated. And we can teach them a simple little lesson. Do you think they can remember I am third? Alex, can you remember I am third? God's first. Others are second. You're third. God's first. Others are second. I'm third. Can you teach them joy? Jesus, others, and you? I'm only giving you these things to teach your children. This is the word of the Lord. Now let me teach you. 1 John 3, 23. Look at this. These came like lightning bolts to me this week. And this is his commandment. Watch this. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, I know that. I know that. That his commandment is that all men better believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. I believe that as well. Because we have certainly emphasized the first half of this verse. This is his commandment, that we believe on his son, Jesus Christ. But look what else it says. And love one another. And it's just attached to it, chained to it, welded to it. And love one another as he gave us commandment. And it doesn't say commandments. As he gave us commandment. Believe that I am Jesus the Christ and love one another all wrapped up together because God is love. You cannot love God, know God, have God in you or be in God without being filled with love. Do you think it said that in these two chapters? In case you don't know that it says that in these chapters, look at verse 8. Let's go to verse 7. Beloved, are there terms in the Bible and are they used very often, that sound like the writers and the readers were pretty close. When we typically write write someone and use the word beloved, is that a pretty close person? Mm -hmm. I haven't written you recently and said beloved to you. Do you see that in the Bible? I just want to point that out. Reader, I mean, writer to reader, beloved, brethren, Over and over and over again. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Love is a godly thing. Love comes from God. Love is like God. Love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. If a man can learn to love his brother and to treat them like he treats himself, that man is born again. That man has God dwelling in him. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. These words are so simple, but they're so weighty. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. That's the description and definition of love, what God did for us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And John here is not in an explanation of our legal salvation. John here is in an explanation of how we should love each other. 
So he uses two verses to remind us of the great example of love. What God did for us in Christ Jesus. Beloved. He says it again. Beloved. If God so loved us. Do you know what that word so means? If God loved us in this manner that I've just specified. The previous two verses. If God loved us this way that I've just described. We ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, what do you do with the words, no man has seen God any time? Do you start, you wander off in some, specu- some speculative thinking about God being a spirit and therefore because these eyeballs are of flesh and blood, they can't perceive him? That's not really where he's going. No man has ever seen God, but do you want to know where God is? Do you want to be able to see him? You can see him. You can know where he is. That's what he's dealing with. Amen. He's not off in metaphysical religion. No man hath seen... You know I love context. Do you all understand that? We don't dive in here and take that out and go off running on some speculative dreamboat about no man seeing God. We say, well, John, what are you using these words for? Holy Spirit, tell me what these words are here for. He's not dealing with the nature of God right now except in love. Not his invisibility. No man hath seen God any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Right. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And how do we know that spirit is in us? And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and we love one another. These two chapters are teaching us that while we cannot see God physically, we know where he is, we know that we are in him, we know that he is in us by the spirit he's given to us. And what is the evidence of that spirit? We love one another. When somebody wrongs us, we'll forgive them. No problem. We'll never even think of it again. When someone's suffering, we want to help them. When someone has something good in their life, we don't want to envy them. We want to celebrate with them. When someone has enemies, we want to be there to fight with them. We want to be compassionate toward them. That's coming tonight. What, what, what compassion is. What empathy is. And our Lord Jesus Christ was the best. Amen. We want to love one another. This is his commandment. That we believe on his son Jesus Christ and love one another. That is a singular commandment. May God bless us to do it. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Much more could be said from 1 John 3 and 4. In due time, we will cover 1 John 3 and 4. You read it last night. I just told you how to read it by going back and reading it a little more carefully and thinking about what is there. He's not dealing with our legal salvation so much. He's not dealing with the nature of God being invisible. He's dealing with us to know where God is who are the children of God, and how they can assure others and their own hearts that when Jesus comes, they're going to be received into glory because they love one another. Because do you know what? Without a powerful work of the Holy Spirit of God, it's impossible to love one another. My flesh can make a list so fast of things I don't like about you, it's almost as fast as your flesh can make a list of things you don't like about me. Got you, didn't I? He thought, there goes the pastor reminding us of how mean he is again. No, I'm just about as mean as you. I'll put you in the 
the word seat this morning. The point being, we're all hateful and hating one another by nature. Yes. Do you know what I am? I am, I am, so, I am pure by nature. I am pure selfishness. I will use anybody I can to get what I need. I'm almost as good as you at it. My point being, we are all selfish by nature. True. It is only the grace of God that makes us want to serve. Yep. It is only the grace of God that makes us want to be selfless, like the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been thinking upon Christ much this week in this sense. What did he ever do for himself? It blows me, it blows me away. Forgive my language. I know it's not great pulpit speech, and it wouldn't go down at Bob Jones very well. But it, brethren, what did he ever do for himself? What did Paul ever do for himself? David built that house. Let's be honest. David built a house for himself, and when he was in it, he was feeling a little guilty about being in that house and God not having one. Paul didn't have a house unless you call a concrete block place with bars in its windows a house. Philippians 2, look at what it says. Look at We're, we're on point two, right? I am third. God first. Others are second. That's what we're on. Jesus said, the second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. The commandment in 1 John 3 was, believe that Jesus is the Christ and love one another. Love is of God, so everyone that loves, God dwells in him, he dwells in God, he's born of God, he's like God because he's loving. Because love is of God. It doesn't come from any other source. This stuff that the world calls love is not the love we're talking about. That is lust. Baby, I'll give you what you want if you'll give me what I want. (laughs) That is lust. I will bring you flowers every day if you'll give me what I'm looking for from you. That is lust. Love is the sacrificial desire for someone else to be the best. What is the best? Love is sacrificial desire to help someone else please God perfectly in their life. That's the highest thing you can ever do for anyone else. And guess what? When someone else is pleasing God perfectly in their life, you're not getting anything for your flesh. But when you help someone else be everything they can be for Jesus Christ, you are certainly helping your spirit because then you have a friend that the unity of which is like the ointment that came down over the head all the way to the skirts of the garment. And it was good and pleasant indeed. Amen. We know that once we try it and use it. The Bible tells us that. Look what it says in Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Brethren, nothing in here should should be done because we're fighting. Nothing in here should be done because we're trying to promote ourselves, vainglory. But here's how everything ought to be done in this church. In lowliness of mind, I am third. In lowliness of mind. It starts right here. You have got to think, talk, and tell the Lord and tell yourself, I am third. I am third. All day long, I am third. What can I do for someone else right now? How many times during a day do you have a conflict arise where there's something you want to do for yourself and something needs to be done for someone else? How many times in a day? Mothers and wives? Two? Three? Two or three hundred? Husbands? Hmm. Well, I'm the head of the home, so my life is my own. She's mine. Hmm. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, 
I am third. Let each, men, women, children, husbands, wives, pastor, white, any, everyone, grandfather, grandchild, let each esteem other better than themselves. I love this verse. Amen. Where's the self-esteem movement? Bring them on. I have my sword on for a minute. And it's Philippians 2.3. Let's draw it. And do you know what the Word of God says about those who say that we need to build people's self-esteem? It says that we ought to build the, the esteem of others more than ourselves. Right. We must learn to esteem others better than ourselves. That's getting our self-esteem reduced and our other esteem increased. Is that plain enough, everyone? I'm a lone voice in this generation. Not alone, there's a few more. But I'm, there's only a few voices in this generation that are willing to hammer about this point. We live in the most selfish generation. Do you know why? Because they have forgotten the word selfishness. It's a forgotten sin, selfishness. Our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents knew all about that little word, selfishness. Do you know what it's called today? Self-love and little child, you need more of it. I tell you the truth. They have created the most selfish generation the world has ever seen. Let each, every single one of you and me, every one of you esteem other better than themselves. There it is. God first, other second, your last. I am third. Do you understand that, Andrea? I am third. God first, other second. Look not every man on his own things. Do we have to look on our things a little bit? Yeah, of course we have to look on our things a little bit. But it says, look not every man on his own things. Can I put a sense on those words? Look not every man on his own things is the most important thing in his life. But every man also, see, I know that by the word also, but every man also on the things of others. He knows you've got to look at your things a little bit, but he uses words with ellipsis, leaving out words, things exclusively, knowing that you have to look on them a little bit. Have I said anything to you? But I didn't say much. I didn't make my point of Philippians 2. The point of Philippians 2 is, look, not every man in his own things. Right. Stop worrying about your own things. Stop right. emphasizing your own things. Stop being preoccupied with what's going on in your life. Look also on the things of others. Think about their life, their job, their cars, their house, and the things that are happening to them, their soul. Amen. Others are second. Look at Romans chapter 12. That's, about the, that's one of the precious verses in the Bible about others being second because it specifically tells us that we are to esteem other better than ourselves, which puts us third. I am third. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. It's a commandment. Kindly affectioned. Affectioned. Can Can we get somewhere? Can we get started with brotherly love? Do you love the brethren? Do you love the brethren affectionately? Do you love the brethren with kind affection? That's what we're commanded to do. In honor, what does it say? Help me. Preferring one another. Now just slow down when you say those words. Preferring one another. Each individual member of the church preferring the others, one 
preferring another. One preferring the others, putting the others above you. I am third. This is the word of the Lord. That's simply a trigger for you to remember the word of the Lord. Referring to I am third. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. That means we all should be thinking the same way on this subject. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. We're not going to have clicks in here of the haves versus the have-nots or the betters versus the less betters or anything like that. It's not going to be here. We're going to do our best to kill it. It shouldn't exist. There shouldn't be anything to kill. Mind not high things. Don't be thinking in your mind about an elevated position for yourself or anyone else. Condescend with dissent. Get down. I've taught this before. It means to get down. Get down with men of low estate. If you think yourself pretty good and pretty high, well, he tells you what to do. First of all, he tells you, don't think that way. Second, if you're going to think that way, get down to men of low estate. And let's be of one mind in this matter of getting down. This is loving others. This is putting others second. Jesus Christ is the great example of it. Jesus said, even as the Son of Man... Listen to me, since I'm not turning you there. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. Do you know who he was? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. The best in our assembly compared to the worst in our assembly are equals. God, compared to us, is an infinite gulf. He became our servant. Why can't we serve each other without any reputation? He humbled himself to the death of the cross. And I want you to know that that passage in Philippians chapter 2 is not put there for its primary purpose of defining our legal salvation. Do you know where that's at? Philippians 2.5? It follows the verses I just read to you. Do you know what it's doing by context? It's explanifying. It's interpreting for you what it means to put others more important than yourselves and to think upon the things of others rather than the things of yourself. If Jesus had thought upon the things of himself, he'd have told the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm calling on Michael. And I want to tell you, Michael would have arrived with the legions of heaven and they'd have split this place in half. Mm -hmm. He didn't. You know what he was thinking about? He was thinking about us coming together today and singing praise to his name as brethren who are saved from our sins and we're going to heaven. He thought about our things. Precious, incredibly precious. He is the great example. He came not to be ministered unto. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. You have been born again, not to be served, but to serve. Your question should not be, what can this church do for me? Your question should be, what can I do for this church? Your your thoughts right now should not be, no one loves me the way he's describing. Let me tell you, if you have that thought, you belong in hell and you're going to hell. If even a little thought goes through your mind, 
this church doesn't love me the way that he's preaching. You belong in hell, and that's where you're going. So you're going to get to where you want to be and where you deserve. Because I am sick of hearing that thought ever. As a pastor, I have heard, the other children don't love my children. There's a reason they don't. Your child doesn't know how to love. It's very simple. A man that is friendly has more friends than he can handle. This is something we have got to come to grips with. And you cannot sit there when I'm preaching and let the devil throw a fiery dart into your soul that says the church doesn't love me that way. All that you should be thinking is, Lord, thank you for this reminder from the word of God. Thank you for those words, I am third. That is how I want to live because I want to please you. Help me love others. Help me find opportunities as soon as the pastor will let this thing finish so that I can go love another. Help me teach my children how to love others. Help me leave an example to my children of loving others. That is what your thought must be. I hate sin and I hate the devil and I know how he operates. That is not the focus. There isn't one word about that in the Bible. There is not one word in the Bible about someone else not loving you enough. Every word in the Bible is about you loving others. That is pure selfishness. That is the opposite of love. That is hatred for you measuring others by how they're treating you. Why don't you show us love since we don't know how to treat you by loving us so much that we learn this lesson that you know so well and that we know nothing about? Amen. I still love every one of you, beloved. But I'll tell you what, I hate sin and it it rests in every single one of our breasts. And until we're in heaven, it's going to be there and I am supposed to hate it and I am supposed to have a sword on it all times and to cast down every stronghold and to pull down every wall and every thought and the imagination of your heart that mounts itself up against the doctrine of Jesus Christ. If you want to know where that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, go read about the first eight verses. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal. I love you, but I'll tell you that is from hell when someone thinks about other people loving them. That is not the issue at all. It's not found in the word of God. That is pure selfishness. You have never learned to love your neighbor. Let me tell you. Look at, go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at the example of Paul. I've briefly mentioned the example of Jesus. Look at the example of Paul on this subject. This will settle this issue if you fear God. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you. Listen to this man. If there was ever a man that could claim to be a burden, he should have been able to walk into that church at Corinth and have them give him everything they had. That man had saved their lives from idolatry, had borne along with them and all their false doctrines and the weakness and immaturity of that church. If there was ever a pastor who could have come into a church and been a burden, it was Paul. But look at what he says. I'm ready to come to you the third time. And I will not be burdensome to you. I won't cost you anything. For I seek not yours. I am not looking for your things. I'm looking for you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Our generation stinks. We take little babies while they're unborn in their mother's womb and tear them in pieces and save little puppies. Our generation says that children ought to take care of their parents when they're old and put all the emphasis on that. The Bible says that parents ought to be laying up for their children and not children for the parents. We that are parents, 
We that are pastors ought to be showing love for our people and our children rather than the other way around. Yes, of course, children owe things to their parents. That's 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm not neglecting it. I certainly have to preach what's right here, 2 Corinthians 12, 14. This is the Apostle Paul. I'm coming to you a third time. I won't be burdensome. I don't want your things. I don't want anything from you. I just want you. And look what he says in verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now, whenever you think that no one loves you enough, here's your verse. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I am willing to spend. Are you all willing to spend for everyone in here? Let's go to the next step. Are you all willing to spend so much that you'll be spent? Right. What does that mean? Spending everything for others? That's what it means. Mm-hmm. And I'll love you, even though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Do you know what? I know where Paul is right now. Yep. He's in the bosom of God himself. Amen. I will love you abundantly, though the more I give you, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. And everybody wants to reverse that all around and say, if you'll love me more, I'll be a better lover myself. You've never met God. You haven't met Paul. You must not read Paul. This is Paul. He is a great example of being third. Jesus tells us that we ought to treat others as we ourselves want to be treated. We take good care of ourselves. And we should treat others that way because God should be first. Others should be second and ourselves last. I am third. Do your thoughts, do you think about others? Do your words and do your actions show clearly that others are more important to you, that your life is being spent more for others than it is being spent for yourself? Jesus did that. Paul did that. Are we going to do that? We can assure our hearts that we are God's children. We will show the love of God right through our lives. What hinders you, brethren? Is it time? You don't have enough time? Buy it back. Trade something in from your life to be able to love the brethren better. Is it selfishness? We're all selfish by nature. But is it selfishness? Confess it. Is it habits that you're just not used to going out of your way for other people? Kill those habits. Is it bitterness because you hold revenge and resentment in your heart for little tiny offenses in the past? Repudiate them. God hates them. Why don't you? Is it because you're a carnal Christian? Replace it with a spiritual life in Christ. Believe on his son Jesus and love the brethren. It's his commandment. He'll give you the grace to do it. And the more you do it, the more you'll know that he's in you and you're in him. Are you cold? Are you cold? Do you you not have kind affections for your brethren? Go to 2 Corinthians 8.16. It's only a few pages to the left in your Bible from where we just were. 2 Corinthians 8.16. Look at what Paul said about this Corinthian church and another, another minister, fellow minister of his. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. All of a sudden, God raised up Titus to help take care of that church of the Corinthians with kind affection. And it came from God, and God infused that into Titus's heart, based on 2 Corinthians 8.16. 
There it is. God can do it for you. Do you pray for it? Lord, you know, we'll pray, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Right. When was the last time you prayed, I love, but help my hate? I love, but help my selfishness. Mm -hmm. Enlarge my heart. Right. 2 Corinthians 6, you'll see Paul begging that church to enlarge their heart toward him. He says, my heart is enlarged toward you. It's verses 12 and 13 of 2 Corinthians 6. My heart's enlarged toward you. Be ye enlarged toward me. God can enlarge your heart. God can give largest of heart like no other. Amen. True. If you don't have a conscience for what I've preached this morning, unsear it. Humble yourself before him. Go to him in prayer and fasting and beg him to save you because if you don't love the brethren, there is no evidence of eternal life in you. Right. Love of the brethren is not telling yourself that you love us not telling us that you love us, not telling God that you love us. Love of the brethren is going to show itself in your willingness to blow away and overlook anything that we do towards you, to forgive us freely and cheerfully without us even asking, to rejoice in glory in our things, not your own. When there's a conversation, you're never going to give your explanation of things because all you want to do is learn more about the other person so that you can serve them better. You don't want to be the talker. You want to be the listener. True Christian joy, peace, and contentment is if we'll live, I am third. There's outlines that you can get that have many verses of Scripture, but I'm trusting the Holy Spirit this morning because I am done. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to put that love into your hearts for one another right. that he put in the heart of Titus for the Corinthian church. My parents have been a consistent example of this all my life. Am I going to be a consistent example of this for my children? Are you going to be one for your children? Amen. Are you going to be an example of not coming to be served, but to serve? Not looking to be loved, but to love. Looking to spend and be spent. And to love, even though the more abundantly you love, the less it seems you are loved. Are you all willing to do that? You've heard the law of Christ today. I am his ambassador. I am nothing else. I am just a mouthpiece. I am an ass for the Lord of glory. Every man shall bear his own burden.